Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. It is 2022 and we're happy that, well, no, COVID's still here. Still sucks. Anyway, um, hope everybody's having a wonderful evening. We're about to have some fun talking about some Rails 7 JavaScript. All the all the fun things that are new in Rails 7 for that. Um, and who are you? Oh, yeah, I'm Chris. And I'm Creston. Hey, and there we go. One of us is paying attention tonight. We we won't we won't say who, but one of us. Anyway, um, wait, are we doing a show? Sorry, never mind. <laughs> Maybe it's, you never know. Um, so what? Oh, oh, hold on, technical difficulties. Anyway, uh, we are going to start with <laughs> some uh, recap of our work week. What do you have going on this week? So um, the end of the calendar year is a big time for nonprofits, of course, raising year-end funds, people making fun all year and donations and whatnot. So basically a whole bunch of stuff kind of collects up and I don't make any changes to the system during December. And then a whole bunch happens after everything's closed and, uh, you know, after the first, after the last of uh, December, 1st of January. So basically, a whole bunch of upgrades and changes that I was waiting on doing have been rolling those out. Uh, also working on some upgrades for some other clients. And I also take this opportunity, and I did mention in the previous show, but basically once a new version of Ruby comes out, if it's a major version, usually like 3.0 was last year, I waited a really long time before upgrading it. Yeah. And frankly, I've waited about a year. So I started saying, oh, 3.1 is coming out. I better do, uh, you know, I'm on 2.75. And so it's all right. Well, it's time to upgrade to Ruby 3.0 or whatever the, you know, the minor version, most up-to-date minor version is. So I started looking into that and started running the tests and doing it. And lo and behold, of course, some gems, needed upgrading because uh, some of the versions that are on there. And then I found a few that are abandoned. Um, well, maybe not a few, but at least one. Yikes. So I wanted to make this a topic, and I talked to you about this, but want to make this a topic for next, I don't know if it's next week, a future show, basically abandoned open source projects is one of kind of one of the dark sides of open source. And now you can always jump in and participate and become you know, help it not become abandoned, but it kind of depends on where you're at in the situation. But, um, you know, so a lot of this week I spent, okay, let me look for alternatives. And then of course, one of those alternatives could be actually participating in the project. And I guess viewers will have to turn in for the that episode to find out kind of what my plan has been. Yeah, and that that should be next week. Ducky already handed okay. at it on Twitter, so you know I guess we're stuck now. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, there you go. So, so what did you do this week? Um, so I've spent a lot of time still fixing tests from this major refactor. Uh, I've all, I'm almost done. I only got a handful left to go, so I think I'll probably finish that up tomorrow, which will be nice. Get that out of the way, and I can go on to something new. It was a big, big refactor, but it's gonna it it, it solved a lot of technical debt, which was nice. So. That was good. We also talked about some changes to our uh, release cycles because um, we've been doing like a, like a lot of um, Agile shops do. They'll do like a week sprint. And so they'll have a QA release week and a prod release week and then a QA release week and a prod release week. So you get like basically one week to work on a, a release set. And as big as our product is, that's a little too fast we're finding so um, it also doesn't afford us any time to deal with technical debt things and other stuff that we need to deal with like upgrading ruby and upgrading rails and those kind of major projects that really need to happen um, and for for a product that's as big and and spread out as ours is Upgrading Ruby and Rails are major projects. It's not a little simple thing. It takes a long time to get all that stuff straight. Um, so we're talking about, you know, 
lengthening the the size of our sprints as well mm-hmm. as like every every few sprints taking one off to to work purely on technical debt um because that's kind of an important thing you don't you don't want a big monolithic application to be built out of band-aids upon band-aids with some tourniquets and some bandages on it um that gets that gets a little frustrating after a while but um yeah i think that's the best way to handle it. yeah because i mentioned in the our previous episode with andrew mason was talking about i threw out the term and it may have come from somewhere else but refactor fridays but basically it's taking it a chunk of the work some percentage is it 10 percent, 15 percent, 20 percent, whatever and dedicating it to that what can we do to make well the developers lives better but also allow more velocity in coding right so is that improving tests is that improving code quality is that you know do whatever you can do to whittle away some technical debt or whatnot yeah and and part of that too is not just refactoring <clears throat> code and getting your code straight but working on your pm processes and working on the the interdepartmental communication issues and and stuff like that because that all helps your your speed of of development um so you know even the stuff outside of code gets technical debt and needs to be dealt with all right so um rail seven it's the fun new hotness uh and we are going to at least in our world (laughs) right um we are going to be taking a look tonight at one bit of that which is the new javascript stuff so I'm not tremendously versed on this. Uh, I've done a little bit of reading on it, but I haven't really played with it yet because I haven't gotten a chance to sit down with a Rails 7 environment and really dig in. Um, I, I did a basic uh, little program setup, app setup, but I haven't really had a chance to play with it. So every all of my experience so far with Rails 7 and the new uh JavaScript stuff is just reading a lot about it. Um, so here's kind of what I'm, I get is the gist of what's happening here. Webpacker and the uh, JavaScript pipeline, the old JavaScript pipeline, are still available in Rails 7, but they're kind of being superseded by um, the new stuff, the import maps and the ECMA scripting and um, the nodeless stuff, um, Hotwire, um, all these new things that are supposed to help kind of ease the burden of transpiling and, and build doing builds in your pipeline and stuff. Um, so they're not taking away the ability to keep keep your projects running as they're running, but they are introducing some better options, I think. And to me, this like Webpacker when when that came along in what Rails five two Rails, I think that became the default default in five two. In five two. Or maybe it's I have no idea. I can't remember when it became the default. I think it was available in five two. He wrote it back then because DHA wrote Webpacker, DHH. And, but I I don't I can't remember when it became default. Anyway. That, to me, felt like a completely different um, JavaScript environment. Like, it was a, it was a complete departure from um, well, the old pipeline. Well, it's a departure from what would done historically. Right, 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 right. This, now, Rails 7, feels more like, to me, an evolution of the pipeline. Kind of like it it kind of leapfrogged over Webpacker and just evolved the old pipeline into something better. So it feels, it, and it's not exactly that, but it feels more of the pipeline growing up and maturing rather than shifting to just yet another thing, <laughs> which is kind of what I felt like with Webpacker. So... That's kind of the the feeling I'm getting from the reading. And there's a lot to it. And I guess you've kind of dug into it and actually played with it a bit. Um, yeah, so just to, I was just checking this. So 
in five two it was not a default it became like the default uh in rails six mm -hmm. yeah so it was probably available before Rails six, but basically it became a default in Rails six. Yeah. And I remember when I started, I don't know if it was a six, a new six or six point one project, and I set up a, a new Rails app for the first time, and then suddenly all this JavaScript stuff started running, and Node started doing its builds, and and what I'm like, oh, what the, I hate to say it, but I said, what the crap is this? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a bit of a shock because I did I kind of went through the same thing. I was like, well, haha, I don't I don't I don't know this. I don't like it. I'm old and set in my ways. Stop it. Because my app was from four point my app was started, I think, on Rails four. Um it may have been a light late three version or whatever. So basically I've been doing the asset pipeline the whole time. <clears throat> and when that came out, I just kept on trucking doing same old, same old. So I never in, used Webpacker when, you know, my app's on the latest Rails 6 version, 6.1.4.4 or whatever it is. Right. Um, and like, I'm not using Webpacker. So, yeah. Now, I'll jump in here and I'll kind of talk about this because I was, and we had a previous episode on this, but I've actually done spent a little bit of time looking at, and I started a Rails 7 project and basically followed DHH's like 30 minute build a blog script. So basically I did what he did um, in, my, in my own first project to kind of take a look at it. Cause I even wanted to try running it in, like he just magically said, okay. And then you push it up to production and you're done with, um, oh shoot, what do you use? Um, Heroku. So I said, well, you know, what does that really look like? How does deployment actually look? So I did the start of this Rails 7 project, and then I ran it as production and did a local um, compiling of assets because I just wanted to see, okay, what's different, what works, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> so basically, there are two paths you can go. The default path does not use any sort of bundler. Now, bundler for your JavaScript or CSS. Now, the asset pipeline still exists. So if you don't change anything and you run your app, your CSS does get um, consolidated to one file. So that is still happening, but no compression of it happens at all. So it's full size. So there's no minification or compression happening unless you enable it. That's how I remember it. Same, and now with the JavaScript, because the default path is now import maps, they don't even do um, uh, bundling. There's no bundling at all. It's just individual JavaScript files. So explain to us neophytes what import maps are. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> it's basically, uh, so I believe the, re the rationale for it, and I haven't done a lot of research into import maps, but I believe the rationale for it is so you can fingerprint assets and be able to reference them easily in code. So for example, an import map is just mapping one name to another. So you have a friendly name like stimulus, and that stimulus is an alias for stimulus 04G57352, a fingerprinted version. And that fingerprinted version is important because that can be cached. And then if the stimulus ver uh, version ever changes, which is a JavaScript library, it's going to get a new fingerprint. But in you don't have to like run a whole bundle or everything or anything. You, basically, your JavaScript can always just reference stimulus because it's using that alias or that shortcut to always reference in your map determines in your code stimulus what exactly to point to, what fingerprinted JavaScript file to point to. Mm -hmm. So at my at my initial layman understanding, that's all it is. It's a map from a friendly name that you can have all throughout your code because you're importing libraries doing this. 
and you don't want to import, like I said, stimulus 0546J352ABC. Uh, but that's my favorite one. Use that friendly name. That way it enables you to fingerprint all your JavaScript assets. So when you have version changes, you can bust the cache and use them. So I think that's the reason for them. And that, again, they never did that before. And they did all the bundling because the HTTP 1.1 spec and 1.0 spec had trouble downloading multiple files, but the HTTP 2 spec does many files in parallel very easily. So that's why they're saying now is the time to be able to, we can use these import maps to be able to do this. So if you, so again, this is still this one path using JavaScript import maps, and you're still gonna be using the Rails asset pipeline because that is going to um, put your files in the create asset directory location when you run it, when you do a compile, and it's still going to fingerprint them for you. Mm -hmm. So it still does that, but it doesn't bundle them all into one. So that's a little bit different. It keeps them separate. So you have separately fingerprinted files with the references maintained. And that primarily is why I say this feels more like an evolution of the pipeline because it's still using a lot of that, a lot of those mechanics. So it's going to look familiar to people who are used to that. It's just better. Yeah. And like, again, on my Rails 6 app, when I look at it, everything, there are no import maps. Everything's con con concat concatenated, combined, I'll say, bundled into one JavaScript file. That's fingerprinted. Well, this one, there's multiple files. In the version six, it is also compressed or minified, whereas that did not happen. So by default, it's not compressed, that's not minified. So you actually have to add a configuration option to your environment to say what compression you want to use. And usually that's dependent upon the gem. So, so basically you'd have to add the gem and then in your production configuration environment file, say what you want to use for your JavaScript compressor and what do you want to use for your CSS compressor. So that's a little bit different with Rails 7.2. It's not compressing them automatically. Now, do you, do you have a sense of why they would have removed <clears throat> compression as a default? Because it seems like in production anyway, you always want things compressed. Is that is that not the case or is it? just they're trying to take away some of the opinionated stance of rails. Yeah, I think it's a little it is a little bit of a departure because I think normally they say here's the default but then you can customize it if you want. Now, again, I didn't play around with it that much and I may have missed something, but I basically set up my project and ran it in production and ran a local compile of assets and nothing was compressed. And the option to compress CSS was disabled in the production configuration. And there was no compress, compression for the JavaScript. So, and then even the documentation is not up to date with, I think, this path. Because I'm still just describing this one path. There's still the other path I haven't even touched on yet. Right. So you're right that I think it is a little bit of departure where they say, convention over configuration. I think this is one departure. Now they could say, hey, this is acceptable not to compression, but really no one would ever want to not compress compress their JavaScript files. I can't imagine not doing that. Yeah, I couldn't either. That's... Save so much on downloading speeds. So uh, unless I don't know if some CDNs automatically do compression and zipping in the background. I mean, maybe there's mm, something be. to that, but I'm not sure. So chat, if, I mean, you, anyway, if you have so, some insight on that as to why hmm. you think that they have, have kind of flipped that in from the Rails mantra uh, a bit, or if we're missing something, let us know in the comments because um, we we're just learning this stuff too. Um, we're trying to pick it all up, and there's a lot of changes in seven to go through. Yeah, so so that was an interesting observation. So basically, it looks like you have to choose your gem that you want to use if you want to be using compression. And I can't imagine that you wouldn't, but again, maybe CDN, CDNs have a way of doing that. So you don't have to, but again, I'm not 
100% sure. It's something I, I haven't looked at into yet. So anyway, so, so that's the one path and they do include stimulus and turbo by default. So turbo links is gone, but turbo still exists and stimulus is still there. Now I didn't check the, I haven't investigated all this HTML over the wire and stuff like that. I mean, I looked at what he was doing in terms of, hey, you update, basically dynamic updates of things happening in his blog example. So, I mean, I did that to test it out, but I mean, I was more interested, like I've got this big application, you know, my own application, got this big application with all this JavaScript, what path is, am I gonna choose? So this was one path. The other path is continuing to use a bundler for your JavaScript. So that means not using the import JavaScript import maps, but instead you're gonna do the same thing. You're going to bundle your JS files in some fashion and store them and have them compressed and minified and put in one file. And what's different about that is that now it is not using Webpacker, but now you can choose which way you wanna go with it. And it sounds like the way a lot of people are going with it is um, ES build because its velocity of building is 10 to 100 times faster than Webpacker. So it seems like that's a path that a lot of people are choosing. Now, what's interesting about that, um, is that you're, you also, so you now have this builder and you also need a builder for your, for your CSS. Um, if you choose to go this, the second path. So basically in the first path, we're using JavaScript import maps. You do not need node. So it's no longer a dependency because you're not using node packages. You're just pulling in JavaScript files. You don't need yarn. Again, there's no JavaScript, but you don't need package.json, which was a requirement before. So that's not needed. So all that goes away. Yay. Um, <laughs> so it's essentially mostly, yeah, so basically all that goes away. If you take the second path and are going to be you continue to use Webpacker or something or replace it with ES build, you're still going to have your package JSON. You're still going to be doing JavaScript bundling. Um, and secondarily, you're also going to be needing to run your app as a proc file because you're going to need to use something like yarn build or yarn build CSS to basically keep watch of the directories and rebuild the pack or whatever they call them for, you know, all the node modules need to be updated and changed whenever you make a change. With the asset pipeline, there's no need to do that because it just updates the file in re real time and does it. <clears throat> so it's inter interesting because, you know, like some of the videos I've looked at over the that have been released over the last couple of months when they were looking at Rails 7 and they were looking at some of the paths, they were saying, oh, I'm really like an ES build path. It's pretty easy. And then they say it's pretty easy. And then they show me the confluence of steps they have to go through to get it working. I'm kind of like, that doesn't look easy. <laughs> Your easy and my easy are two different things. Yeah, so, I mean, after playing with it a little bit, Again, I still, there's still a lot I have to learn, but I was initially really excited about this JavaScript import map path because I frankly would, frankly would like to take that path as opposed to the bundling path yeah. because I get to lose dependencies. I don't have to deal with node and packaging stuff up and, you know, Frankly, I would like to try this JavaScript important map route to see if it actually worked for me. Yeah, this does seem to be a lot more streamlined process, a lot less cumbersome with all this the mechanical guff that needs to go on in the background. It it seems like it's going to be a a more fun way to do JavaScript delivery stuff. Yeah, I mean. I am not familiar with Turbo and Stimulus, so that's something I would have to 
you know, figure out, you know, because like I'm using Bootstrap for the internal side of my application. So I have to figure out, okay, how do I get Bootstrap running, which essentially that requires jQuery. So I need jQuery running and set up in some way. So what's, you know, I got to go through that whole rigmarole of, all right, how does this work? Or do I wait and Google periodically until someone else figures out <laughs> how it works? Then I can copy what they do. So, and, and that was something that kind of, so the whole hotwire thing is also, while it's not really JavaScript specifically, it is front end. And I think it is going to have a significant effect on JavaScript in so much as that this hotwire, this HTML over the wire concept is kind of, it's, my understanding is it's kind of pulling back the processing of the HTML to the server and letting it deliver little packets of HTML. So it's kind of like fragment updates to a page rather than a whole page, which, you know, we've kind of already had with the UJS and stuff. And so you're, instead of delivering JSON and letting the JavaScript build HTML on the client side, <clears throat> you're pushing the processing back to the servers again. And it's, I don't think this is bad, but I think it's funny because we keep going through these cycles of it's better to do everything on the server. Now it's better to do everything on the client side. Now it's better to do everything on the server again. And it's just, it, it, it's funny because I keep going through these cycles of, you know, push, pull, push, pull, push, pull. Um, but the hotwire stuff is, is like using WebSockets to constantly push little tiny HTML blobs across rather than JSON blobs. And so I think what that's going to accomplish is you're just going to have less JavaScript you have to write on a Rails app because you don't have to have the JavaScript on the front end to bi that builds all the HTML stuff. Yeah, so, and that's, again, like I mentioned, that's an area I haven't even explored yet because, and that's a separate consideration because choosing to implement HTML over the wire, I believe that more so in, for involves turbo, maybe some stimulus. Mm -hmm. So that is a secondary consideration to, to determine whether you want to go the import mat path or the, um, you know, the ES build or the webpacker path, you know, the bundle bundling path. And like my consideration was first, I want to choose that direction and then HTML over the wire can, uh, can come later. But yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, this is, I call it a pendulum and it just keeps swinging back and forth, you know, mm -hmm. because think about mainframes, it was all terminal. Right. Then you went to the, the PCs came out and then things went client server. And then the way web came out and it went terminal and then devices got faster and they said, oh, we can build more flashy stuff on the client. But, you know, the, the downside of that is now suddenly you have to write in essentially two, two different languages unless you're choosing Node.js, for example, as your backend server. Yeah, so, you know, it's like when the, the teacher would scroll on the clay tablet and then he said, screw this, and had all the children scroll on their own clay tablets. And then, you know, oh, that's, am I dating myself there? Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I think, though, that the, the hotwire stuff may actually have an impact on the decision of how you want to do this because if you're if you have to deliver far far less javascript then it may impact how you're going to want to deliver it so if i've sure. got a bunch i may want to compress it and and minify it and bundle it to get it out there faster but if i've just got a few small files because i'm doing hotwire great let's let's just you know do the import map stuff and yeah i mean i think it kind of depends on what you have will make the decision easier like if you already are have tons of react or view and everything i mean you're going to choose the probably the es build or the webpacker path and keep keep going down the, the, the bundling path basically i would imagine yeah whereas if you have a very a job an app with not too much javascript then you're probably going to choose that default path. Now, I mean, I still have a fair amount of JavaScript, but it's mostly 
jQuery and raw JavaScript. So it's still going to be a leap for me to do it, but I still think it would be worthwhile to do it in the end. And what I'm really interested in finding out, like I am highly interested in the HTML over the wire because I much prefer writing Ruby or the little bit of JavaScript necessary to do that to some big, huge JavaScript front end. So, you know, my inclination is wanting to do the HTML over the wire part. So that's why I'm kind of like wanting to head that direction and see how it goes. Right. And it's, you know, it's not that the old, old ways are going away. It's just now we have a oh, yeah. options I mean, too. So, yeah. you know. It, and HTML over the wire, the whole, you know, the release of Turbo and I think stimulus, some of the stimulus support, I mean, that was released months before Rails 7. So mm -hmm. people could have started using that with Rails 6. Right. Or 6.1 at least. And it's a concept that could be used in other, because I think those are just JavaScript libraries. So you could use them yep. with, you know, non-Rails apps if you want. Right. So, and again, I haven't actually played with any of that stuff. I haven't had a chance to yet, but the reading seems to point to it's moving things, more processing back to the server again. And personally, I like that better. Um I get the distributed processing thing, but in the, for web apps, I, I think a, a server-centric, well, for database-driven web apps, I like a server-based, server-centric model better than a distributed model in that case, because it makes it a lot easier, at, at the very least conceptually, but often in practice, it makes it easier to manage things at the database um, data serving level than trying to have all that stuff distributed. I mean, it depends on, you know, the level of interactivity you need. Yeah. And with some of the tools that at least Rails is delivering, they're pushing, you know, they keep pushing what can be delivered through HTML over the wire, you know, in a very performant fashion. So, you know, the question is that performant enough for kind of what you're looking for. Right. And I would be interested to know from the from the community what um, what do you see as the major impacts with the HTML over the wire, as well as the import maps and and um, ECMA script stuff. Uh, how do you see that changing the way that you're going to put apps together? Uh, what what benefits do you see? What drawbacks do you see? Honestly, I, I think this is a much better step forward than the Webpacker stuff was. Um, well, the Webpacker was just satisfying people's desires, I think. As opposed to, like, I get the sense yeah. that that's something that many on the Rails team, or at least DHH and others, wanted to go. I get that sense, but I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, DHH wrote the Webpacker, and he was like, well, we did this because we were in a need, but we had to make a lot of of um, trade-offs that just aren't paying off anymore. So there's, you know, I was reading an article that he wrote that said basically Webpacker is just obsolete now. There's no real reason to do it because I can buy the same amount of stuff a lot cheaper now you know, with the um, import maps and the ECMA script and all that stuff. So I figure if he said it and he wrote it, he must have a clue what he's talking about, I hope. Well, I mean, I, I think if still people are still going to be using heavy JavaScript in their applications, you know, they may use Webpacker or they'll probably move to some, you know, like ES build that can bundle in 10 to 100 times faster. That's, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I think existing Incredible web applications benefit. are going to be slow to migrate because if I've got a big web application, I don't see biting off this project to move from Webpacker or the old um, pipeline to this stuff as terribly well, worthwhile. 
Well, there's a ton. Well, it could be if you're, well, here's the thing. If your compilation times take 10 minutes or longer to compile your JavaScript for your app and you move to ES build and it completes it in seconds or what, you know, something dramatically faster. If I'm on a CI CD, what do I care? So, yeah, I mean, it depends on the situation. And I'm not saying this is a bad move. I think I I love this. I, I think it's great. And I think new projects should definitely use this stuff. But a big monolithic well, no, no. existing one is going to take a little longer. But you have to, to choose if you're, well, if you're, no, but you have to choose a path. I mean, you can, yeah. there, you can still stay on Webpack. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I know. But you can do, but essentially it's the same path. And just learning another build tool like ES Build, because there, I think a lot of I think the JavaScript ecosystem in general is moving from Web Webpack to ES Build, where it's getting a lot of traction. Yeah. Well, that's I think I that's think one of the reasons Rails kind of latched onto it is because that's that is the way that the JavaScript. Like just go to esbuild.com. Well, not esbuild. If you Google esbuild, it should take you to esbuild.github.io. Right. And you could see, you know, that again, this there are numbers, but it says, hey, it takes forty-one seconds to compile a bundle. Compare, and the same bundle takes points three three seconds. That's a little bit of a difference. So, so what I'm saying is that if you have a big Rails app that's using Webpack, you could do 95% of everything you're doing, but just switch your build tool to yes build. So I'm saying the, the benefit right. of Rails 7 is that now it's not, not that it was wedded to Webpack because you didn't even have to use it. I'm not using it, but it was considered the the path. Well, now you, it's kind of, you can choose your path. So you could easily switch to ES build. So you could still use use all your JavaScript, do everything the same way, but use ES build instead. Right. And as long as there are some constraints with regard to it, from my understanding, but if you allow those constraints, you get enormous speed benefits for bundling. Right. Yeah. And I do like the fact that this is, you can kind of, do an a la carte upgrade as it were like i just want to change this one thing about it that you know switching to the es build is not that big a project but switching everything over to import maps and oh yeah i mean you know that's definitely, yeah that's a big step and and while i think it would Agreed. ultimately be the best way to go i think it's going to take some time for mature products to start adopting this because there's just too many other things that have to have to go on in the business. Um, yeah, I don't envision pre-existing apps are going to switch to import maps or it has to be a special initiative. Like I would imagine if there's an app on 6.1 now and it upgrades to 7, they'll probably still use Webpack. But if they want the some of the benefits of ES build or whatever they could then make that transition after they're on Rails 7. Right. And then at that point, if they want to consider using import maps, then they can start the migration at that point after they're on 7. Right. And so. I you know I do really appreciate the way Rails approached this in Rails 7 with okay, we're going to add these capabilities, but we're not going to hamstring the people that that are using this other stuff. And if you still want to use this other stuff, fine. We don't understand why, but fine. But no, I, they understand. But, um, but I, do, I, I do like the thought that has gone into how this is evolving and, and also the ability to look at Webpacker and say, eh, this isn't, this isn't really the best choice anymore. We need to... Um, kind of evolve our thinking from the the pipeline days, rather than redesign the wheel here. Which it, it, that's just how Webpacker felt to me. It was like, okay, let's 
let's just redesign the entire ecosystem, which that's that's being a bit hyperbolic, but you just kind of well, get that feeling. A ton of people were starting to use Node and, and building in Node modules, and they were incorporating it. They were using Webpack themselves, and there wasn't a predefined way to do it within Rails. So then Rails came up with a Webpacker gem to start using Webpack. Right. And I mean, that's just, here's the thing. It's like, at least with JavaScript, the ecosystem seems to keep changing what's in vogue at light speed. So. Well, I don't know. Colors.js has kind of set the bar, but you know. It's like a couple of years, a couple of years ago, there was, you know, Webpack was seemingly the best way to, well, today it's ES build. Well, tomorrow it's, it'll be bundle my bundle, please. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> the, the quantum build gem. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's always going to progress. It's not like, it, you know, Rails 8, probably not going to be default ES build. But I think this Webpack was the only time I can remember in the whole evolution of Rails where something that fundamental just felt like it wasn't evolving. It was just changing completely. That's the only time I can remember with Rails kind of feeling like that, the Webpacker stuff. It just felt alien to the Rails environment. But maybe that's just me turbo, being old turbo and links. No, Turbo Links. Uh, they put that in there and everybody's like, ah, oh, step number one of a new Rails product, rip out Turbo Links. Well, true. But that's because at the beginning, it didn't really work very well or had so many inconsistencies with things that. But yeah, that that's true. <laughs> there okay. is precedent. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> But even that didn't didn't quite rub me as the, the wrong way like Webpacker did. That that just, uh, yeah. I mean, I get it, I understand the reasons, but it just felt bad for me. So, I don't know. Yeah, basically, for years I've just they've introduced new JavaScript stuff, and I'm like, my JavaScript is fine, my tests are passing, I don't want to touch it. They put bring it, you know, they brought out Turbo Links and like disable. <laughs> they brought out whatever was next or talked about stimulus. I'm like, no, thank you. They brought out Webpacker, disable, you know. So I've just been kind of going my app all these years on the same kind of JavaScript infrastructure. And I've had in my mind, all right, got to deal with this at some point. I got to deal with this at some point. Yeah. Well, it was this import maps and this new path that I'm like, Okay, I think I'm ready to, you know, make make the change, invest the time to really rework how I'm doing JavaScript in my app to modernize it and make it better. So. Yeah. Well, this this change I'm actually kind of, I, I'm actually really excited about because this feels more like I can step into it rather than I have to rip the whole thing out and put a new engine in or not well i mean i don't know about that well like you said i could just upgrade the to the es build change the es build instead of if you're using webpacker yeah 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 but but i'm not even using that so i, I you know for my for, for my seat i'm kind of like what's gonna work i don't know yet <laughs> but i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of compartmentalized it's you know, because import maps. Okay, I want to use import maps. I don't have to use everything else necessarily to do that. Or I want to bring in turbul turbo and stimulus, so I don't have to use Webpacker or, you know, change to the import, I don't think. No, you don't have to, but, but the question is, it's... Things here's my hesitancy is that it looks like enough has changed with Rails 7 that for the really old apps, I don't know if you want to call mine really old, but that never moved to Webpacker. I can't answer the question, what is the best path? 
because I don't want to use, I mean, I suppose I could use ES build and still do a one single bundle JavaScript or whatever. But then now that commits me to doing all these nodes, that node stuff that I haven't really done because I've just relied on the asset pipeline. But has the asset pipeline changed enough in Rails 7 that it won't work with my stuff? I don't, I don't know yet. Well, but that's, I mean, my understanding of the import map thing is that, yes, it specifically is still kind of like the asset pipeline. It uses part of those mechanics and just tweaks them a bit rather than stripping that whole engine out and replacing it. So that's that's kind of where I'm getting. It feels it feels like I can I can kind of step. I mean, I think that the best path is to ultimately adopt most if not all of this stuff but i don't have to do it all at once at least i don't think i do and on a big big project that's important because i need to make incremental changes and find out how things are going to get affected in in my production world you know yeah i mean i don't know it's still too early i i don't have you don't have all the answers Answers, yeah, answers to questions like that, yeah. Well, what the hell did you want to do this show for then? Jeez. <laughs> no, but it, I, seriously, um, guys out well, in, the, I mean, in the chatterverse. If, yeah, and the people in the chat, if they have an older app and they've already looked at this and they, they have a plan and how they're going to do it, please share. <laughs> yeah, we want to know. We want to understand this. Like, like I said, we're just kind of scratching at the surface here and we haven't had a chance um you know and what we could do future shows well where we will well i mean at least i will communicate how the conversion's going for me and what i've tried and whatnot because i mean i'm not going to do do anything moving to rail 7 until about july because it'll be on or after july because that is when Internet Explorer is officially kaputz. Huzzah. Um, so. it, not to mention the fact that that should be around the 7.1 time frame, right? Maybe. So all of the all of the bad kinks should be worked out by then. Although, well, but still, I think they've usually been on a year year or two release cycle for well that's true even the even the for that the dot yeah, yeah yeah so but it'll just be they'll just be it'll be 7.0.3 or 0.4.5 yeah. who knows what but the i think six months is plenty of time to, for the for the community and the rails folks to get the the major kinks worked out um, yeah and then again i don't upgrade anything when it's super new because a lot of the gems, you know, you have to do your gem review, see if they all work and wait for them to be updated. So, you know, right. so it'll, it'll give time for that to happen too. And I like to do that in my little side projects. I mean, those are always bleeding edge stuff. I try to keep those up to date with, with even like beta stuff I'll use a lot of times. And I think that's important, you know, having people in the community testing that stuff and getting the feedback is, is vital, but it, trying to do that in a business environment is just it's too dangerous so yeah unfortunately a lot of my smaller apps or play apps or whatever you want to call it rails applications don't have a lot of javascript <laughs> so they're gee is there a reason for that <laughs> what Again, because it requires a big investment, to, you know, and there's no need to do it. Because again, they're pet projects; they're just quick and dirty CRUD right. apps. Yeah. So you know, I, there's not a lot of JavaScript in it. So it's kind of like I can't really test out the type of conversion I'm thinking that it will have to be done for my main app. So. Right. So yeah, but all fun stuff, and you know, I am excited about Rails Seven and and the way this stuff is heading, and I think. I have a feeling that 7.1 is is going to push on this some more. Um, but I, I I think this is a good way to go. 
um, especially bringing some of the processing back into the server now that now that servers are not typically just one server having to do everything they're kind of distributed servers uh, i think that's why the feeling is hey we can come back here because that's actually more efficient than doing it out at every client but maybe i'm wrong anyway uh chat let us know what your th thoughts are on this stuff how do you plan to do it um do you see this as a good move uh are you still wanting to keep webpacker going um you know it, which you can do which you absolutely can do if that's your thing you do you um but just just kind of want to get a feeling from you guys about what your thinking is on this and how you see being able to use it um and how quickly you think you'll be able to adopt it out in the wild um anyway Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, it was a it was a fun discussion. I think uh, something I'm excited about. So, um, if you did enjoy it, please make sure to like and subscribe or follow if you're on Twitch. Uh, we're live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Next week we will be talking about the dangers of open source code. The dark side. Don't don't don't. Uh, so, so check us out then and, and join us for live chat. You can share some of your horror stories with open source. Um, yes, we, we will talk about colors JS a little bit, but anyway, um, we will, uh, you faker. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> Horrid. Um, so, uh, join us on rubberduckdevshow.com. Com. You can sign up for our newsletter, and you can also listen to all of the episodes there. Um, we are a podcast, so you can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. And we will be back next week with that show. Until then, happy coding. Happy coding.